three, two, one. Yes. Yeah. That was almost efficient. I'm not that used was to almost that. efficient. I'll leave now. supposed to do two. You were... Oh, okay. Are you? I'm sorry. Uh, everybody, hello and welcome to the Shut Up and Sit Hi. Down podcast. My name's Quentin Smith. This hello, is Paul Quentin. Dean. Hello, we are joined Paul. today by... I sound a bit like a priest <laughs> yes, there, didn't did. I? We are joined today by a very special guest. Uh, his name is Mike. Uh, Mike Urbanski. Uh, hello. Very good for you to come to England. Because <laughs> you, you're me. not usually there, are you? In not England. typically. They're here. Where in my are heart, you usually, usually in New York, in okay. New York, right? So, um, a little background for everybody. Um, I met Mike in New York about six months before the Shut Up and Sit Down redesign and relaunch that happened a couple of years ago. It's no coincidence <laughs> because uh, Mike, uh, myself, and everyone on Shut Up and Sit Down, and a designer, uh, Josh Greco, uh, mm. all worked together to relaunch the site. Uh, and Mike, you know, is a programmer. But more than that, you play board games, don't you, Mike? I've played board games my entire life. That's, I'm so sorry, because they're not always good, are they? They're sometimes bad. But, but, no. <laughs> well, not, you, not typically. What was the story you told me where you, it was like the first night in college, and, uh, and there were two games that were brought out, and it was... Oh, God, it was Flux, Flux and what was the other one? Hanafuda, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I've, oh, God. Ju- I've just finished a feature on Hanafuda for official Nintendo magazine. This is the Japanese flower playing cards, right? And they, they weren't very fun. No, not really. Yeah, no. Oh. Um, <laughs> there's, also, there's also some D&D minis being played. In, uh, oh, okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, what kind of stuff? So I think this was, that was a little, yeah. So it was mostly the D&D minis that you would have to buy in blind boxes. So I think oh, I Oh, they were like the sort of magic booster packs. Yeah, I ended up spending like 80 or $90 to buy a whole fat pack what, of them. And was it just, this like around 2000 or something? I think it was around, so I think it was either my first or second year back at college. and then Because was, I, I remember these vaguely being here in the UK, but they yeah. never took off here. So they didn't take off, they didn't take <laughs> they off, didn't take off okay. anywhere. Really, really anywhere. So they, I just have a bunch of the first, like the first set yeah. sitting and then collecting smells inside of a box <laughs> somewhere inside of my parents upstairs. Do you upstairs. think they're worth anything? They were at one point. Like, I actually had a small business set, like, they had these promo ones at Gen Con the year that they were released and we found a box of all of them just sitting there at the end of the convention and then I had a small... And you stole them? I, it's me! <laughs> borrowed them and then sold them oh, distribute no. over eBay. So if oh anyone at home was wondering on the kind of classy talent that leads shut up and sit down. But no, so this is when they were trying to sort of reinvent Dungeons and Dragons, Yeah, right? this is back when it was the 3.5 yeah. relaunch yeah, and yeah. then they were deciding that like all the movement rules were now going to be Square in little squares, squares. Yeah. these miniatures for everything, and that's yeah. what everyone's going to do from now on. Well, it do, that does make sense to me though, because we all remember that scene in Lords of the Rings where Gandalf moves two squares, but then he moved diagonally and he, oh, he, he, he miscalculated his move and they had to move back, and then he, yeah, yeah, and that was, the, yeah, yeah, I remember that scene, so that makes sense why <laughs> DD would become all squares. Uh, no, but let's not talk about failures. Let's talk about an exciting game that you brought with you uh, as a sort of party favour when you came to visit us in the UK. Let's talk about Lewis and Clark. The game of getting as far away from St. Louis as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, th- this has got a lot of hype recently and we're going yeah. to do a big review soon. Okay. Uh, so we, we can't talk too much about what we thought. I... Okay, it's fine. We're going just... to play it. We're going to probably play it again and make sure, but... I've got conflicting I... things in my head. My... I've played one perfect game of it. Yeah, so this is interesting. So very quickly, you can talk about your perfect game in a minute, but the background of Lewis and Clark is you're all sort of... Well, you're not actually Lewis and Clark, are you? But you're people who travelled across America in the same style. You're trying to get far from St. Louis 
towards the west coast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, following the American dream, Caltrip. That's not it. Caltrip. <laughs> oh, Fort something. Yeah, and yeah. It, oh, it begins with D four. Yeah. So it, and it's based around this really interesting mechanic where to move your sort of scouts and your camp, you need. You need wood, you need supplies, you need furs, but all of these supplies and the Native Americans you're taking with you uh, uh, go on a player board, and then the more things you have on your player board, the, the less... The more it slows you down. Which is basically. fascinating. So the whole game is this kind of like, you're amassing resources, then you want to get rid of all of them, and then lurch up the board, and then start building resources. You up need again. stuff, but not too much stuff. It's And then eventually you're able to fry an egg on your brain as it's just going into overdrive. Yeah, it's so well, hard. This is this is the thing, okay? What's uh, I, I'm get I think I'm getting less good at these kind of of, of games. Um, yeah, you used to love Agricola and the heavy Euros, right? Yeah, and it might be that I like some Euros, like Castles of Burgundy, but others I just I, there are too many moving parts, and I'm no good at them, and I don't know what's going on. Um, and that was how you kind of introduced Lewis and Clark. You said there are going to be so many factors, there are going to be so many things happening, and particularly like you do programming. Well, you're used to doing factors and problems. Yeah, trying to—it's you're just trying to optimize your every single turn. And after a little while, you begin to realize that now we're kind of going into review. But you can just cycle through the cards, and you can just find the card you're looking for to make your deck a little more optimal. And before you realize that trick, the game is a very different experience. Well, it's difficult because usually I think the euros that are more gentle, like um, well, like Stefan Feld games, you know, it's. The uh, Castles of Burgundy specifically, mm. you roll these dice and they give you a number of options, all of which are good, and you have to kind of... The, the, it's a kind of euro where you tweak your machinery to be as efficient as possible, whereas Lewis and Clark feels really punishing, where it's sort of... You really feel like the game's got a hand to your throat in terms of you will be efficient or you will lag you behind. Will fall over. I don't know if any of us did lag behind that much, but I, I had to think a lot and I certainly... Which isn't usual for Shut Up and Sit Down. Cause uh... usually, like, <laughs> I say that only partially in a sort of facetious way. You know, Euro games, if people aren't aware of these games, very sort of uh, deep-thinky German-style games where uh, uh, the mechanisms are tremendously difficult. Um, and But often... They are able to be difficult in a way that doesn't punish you necessarily. Like, yeah, you're, you're always able to succeed, but it's a matter of how fast you grow. Lots of, and lots of things are context sense, or they depend on each other. So, you know, you need more of a resource so that you can build a thing that gets you more of another resource. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's useful to buy the resource instead of build the resource. Yeah, um, that's that kind of describes your games in a way. Kind of. And then if you, the problem that I have with Lewis and Clark is that if you begin to lag behind, you're just lagging behind everyone. You're just seeing them propelled towards the first mountain range the second mountain range well you're still trying to get through the first segment of the waterway so it's not like a game like race for the galaxy or 51st state where even if you're lagging behind you still have your tableau in front of you you still feel that you're building something Mm. yeah it's it which it's a game that made me realize the value of um how at euro games at the end of euro games or even great card games that are pretty light like seven wonders you have this great final moment which can seem tedious where all the players go okay now let's see how much we scored and you do your essentially your taxes for <laughs> 60 seconds. And that always felt stupid. But then you play Lewis and Clark and you realize when you make it really transparent, and then Lewis, Lewis and Clark makes it a race, you yes. realize you're losing. <laughs> and you realize it, you're so, and, you, know, you can't possibly win. And it's, it's cruel. There are so many gr- really good, fascinating things about that game. Uh, but yeah, a lot, of, a lot of nuance, a lot of difficult things. 
Uh, I like the story. What was the thing you told about how it wasn't even themed as well? Yeah, originally it was called The Village or something like that. And then by the time the publisher got his yeah. hands on it, he decided that they were going to put a Lewis and Clark theme on it. So the designer had never even heard of the Lewis and Clark expedition before this. <laughs> was it an American designer? I don't remember. Okay. He Could- couldn't have been. Right. Yeah. Do you guys get taught this kind of? It's a big yeah. It's one of those thing. things that you learn like from that. Yeah, the Civil from grade War, the Revolution. What do we learn in England? Wham. Yes. Tropicana <laughs> <laughs> drinks are free is what I learned in the eighties. So. We learned a lot of the JFK assassination entire segment in high school. Never heard oh. of him. No, JF. <laughs> that was a band, wasn't it? It was. It was a film by Oliver Stone. Let's move on to some games which, for whatever reason, uh, good and bad, we're not going to be reviewing, so we can rip them apart. Oh, what? No, 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 no. Let's actually. You know, I'm going to skip the first thing because it's slightly boring. Oh, and let's talk about monikers. We can come. We should come back to that. Yeah, we will. We will, right. for sure. Monica's. Uh, Monica's was really good. We're not going to rip into that. That was No, no, we're going to rip into it like we're ripping into a delicious tart. Yes, I was going to go for turkey. So I had a thing there where you said meat and I thought chocolate and it was weird. But yeah, no, we're going to rip into it. Uh, Monica's is a game, and I think we can talk about it. Cause can we? It's, yeah. It's they coming. sent it to it's us. Coming? It's it was wrapped in string. It was. It was. The, Pretty multicolored string. That's true, but we shouldn't let that bias us. No, we shouldn't. But uh, it did bias me. <laughs> And uh, honestly, we, the copy of Monica's we got sent, it's hitting Kickstarter this summer, so we only received a sort of pre-release version, but it was hand-tied with string, and it was so nice, and I'm biased. I don't know, oh, no, I don't know about right. you guys. Yes. But we also had a really good time, didn't we? Yeah, Paul, do you want to explain how it works? It's a party game. I will try, because... The... And there are a lot of party games out there, but this is one that took the top of our heads off. I, I, Yeah, I was really surprised and impressed and enjoyed it, and the challenge now will be trying to describe it by, like, doing the... Because when you look at it on paper, you think, what's how is this? a game you get all these cards that are all these things weird people they might be weird people or say that again you know maybe three of them yeah Yeah. well this is it you get a hand of these cards some of them you know some of them you don't some are like concepts or people I think so people ranging from Rosa Parks who was the woman who refused to give her seat on a bus yeah the log woman from Twin Peaks yeah Uh, Krang the Krang the Honda from Street Fighter or like a a Clippy eating champion oh Kobayashi the eating champion Clippy the the helpful paperclip from Microsoft Word circa 1995 and the thing is you have to describe what these are to someone else on your team well now now this is this is that's the first <laughs> round, isn't it? Because everyone gets these seven cards, and you pick five of them, and you throw away the ones your group won't know or whatever. We well as best you can, but yeah, you have you initially have a body of text, don't you? And you can try, you can't use the name, but you describe the thing that they've done. Hopefully, the person on your team who you're describing it to goes, "Yep, I know who that is." So, for example, something like, "Oh, the supervillain from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is Shredder." No, the other one, the crane. Yes, and then your your team then scores that card and. After 60 seconds, you give the deck to the other team, and they continue to do this sort of this game, which I've seen before. I forget the name of it, but it's um, it's, it's a really common game. Yeah. yeah, and it reminds me of the party game where you give the list of five, and then everybody writes up their own list, and they put it into the fishbowl, and then everybody takes that list of five oh. out, and then they try to read it out, and they try to figure out what's on the list, and then score points based on that. Mm-hmm. With the twist that one so, person in the room will know everything on the list. Everything on the list. Who might be the person reading it out, or it yes. might be the person listening. Yes. Um, but, we should do that. So too. the interesting thing about Monica's then is that's only at one third of the game. That's only a third of the game. It's only, do you want to keep going? Sorry, I'm being. No, horrible. it's fine. I'm, the I'm just excited. Game uh, no, we should ask Paul. 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 We're, well, we're all excited about this. I'm really excited. Anyway, yeah. So and then the next round is you can only what use two words to describe uh, one the thing. word. One word. And the thing is, by the time the round comes round, you kind of cycle the deck 
in the first round scoring cards. Mm -hmm. So you've seen all the team give descriptions of stuff. But now you're just saying one word. And um, <laughs> if Rosa Parks comes up again in your hand, you might say bus or sitting. And the other person hopefully says, oh, Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks. The problem being that obviously one word is, is fewer than lots. <laughs> and you start, when people have a certain attribute to them, you could start mixing up those attributes and like... Um, I'm trying to think of a good example, but it, it came well, to the, the one, point where the oh, Venn diagrams start to cross over. And the problem is you start developing inside jokes as you're yes, going through the yes, first round. So it's like, yes. with Clippy, I was saying, like my idea for Clippy was, are you composing a suicide note? And it's like, <laughs> it's Clippy from Word. Like, are you composing a suicide note? And the problem is when you start getting to the one word uh, round, then you have Sylvia Plath come up and you say suicide. And it's like, Clippy! <laughs> no, the other... Yeah. The, the oven. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but even this is really and that's just... Too. Yeah, It's just a warm-up, isn't it? For, like, the secret super... Like, Monica's is really round three, and rounds one and two are just, like, a warm-up. Round three, yeah, round three is just charades. It's just same cards again, just mimicking the actions. The thing being that we had... Am I going to get in trouble for this? We had uh, that uh, speed-eating champion. Kobayashi. And we also had Deep Throat in our deck. <laughs> and already Deep Throat had been kind of associated with the, the sexual connotation. and As opposed know, to the Watergate uh, informant. Yeah, so we just had someone trying to mind putting hot dogs in their mouth. <laughs> and then the other person trying to... And it's, it gets to that kind of level of confusion where you're trying to do one action that summarizes the thing on the card and like one of the cards was hitler's brain which was a film or a book <laughs> so we had matt trying to pretend to be hitler pointing at his own head or something yeah i remember uh, the the nice thing about this though it's not like uh charades in that you just get stuck because monica says in the rules like in its hundred words of rules um very prominently that you're well you're, you should pass often so if you yes. ever look at a card and you don't know you go don't know but that means that because the deck's passing between the teams you become from even more familiar with the tough ones yes. so in the last charades round where we had the one that uh, screwed us all was the Winklevoss twins oh, yes. from the social network and everyone would receive the deck go no but then by the end of the game when there's only two cards left in the deck you know which one and one of those is but um, the one uh, I remember was uh, yeah some the beautiful impersonation of Quetzalcoatl that you did oh. my lord yes yeah the lord of destruction which, which was uh, if you yeah if you want to know how to um do charades for Quetzalcoatl in one second. Yeah, you, need, you need to ask Mike. <laughs> this is the other thing, isn't it? It becomes really quick and frantic when you have this big stack of cards and you're trying to go through them all mm. to, yeah. to get the the essence of who a person is or what a thing is. Well, this is the thing. It's because in it's, sixty seconds. It's, it's sixty seconds. Yeah, sixty seconds. 60 seconds. Yeah. So it's so pacey that um, as well, it's like anything that takes longer than three seconds is really <laughs> frustrating to everybody. So it's the, and also as well, one team is watching and probably laughing yeah. at the other team having no idea, circling the character that you know it has to be. I think you do that fun thing where you're the one who saw the card the first time. Yeah. So you get really smart when it's like, of course, it's the log lady. And everyone's like, how did you get that? It's like, well, naturally. It's I, I had that <laughs> yeah. with Hitler's brain. Because exactly. I just, re what the hell is Hitler's brain? I still don't know what it is. <laughs> but I know every time we play Monica's now, it may come up. So I'm now primed for any Hitler's brain related actions. Yeah, no, I, I was really impressed as you pointed out Mike it does have that worry that once you've seen all the cards it becomes drier but even the promo copy we've got we used we saw maybe a sixth of all the cards and so that yeah. seems like a decent amount yeah. of replayability and if that's yeah. just in the promo copy then I'm 
I, I've, I'm optimistic, I guess. Yeah, I am. This might be my favorite. I'm not a big party game guy, and this might oh, be really? my favorite. Yeah, I'm just not terribly interested in them. It's just, okay. it doesn't ever give you time to be bored. No. Which is something I like about Two Rooms and a Boom as well, and how I was talking about how mm. Two Rooms and a Boom overtook the resistance for me, because the resistance is like an hour and a half of lying, and Two Rooms and a Boom says, a bomb's going off in 15 minutes, start lying. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, again, just no time to be bored. So we're quite excited about this, aren't we? Yeah, and actually, come to think of it, Two Rooms and a Boom and Monikers have another thing in common, which is they both speed up as you... As you it's a yeah. very slow, gentle thing point. where people can get used to it because, yeah. you know, literally, the first round of Monikers, you can just read the text off the card, which is so clever for a party game because it's like you don't even have... And then you're all laughing, you warm up, and then it's one word start getting smart. And then by the end, you're pretending to be Deep Throat and, <laughs> and everyone's laughing and you're having a great time. Yeah. Uh, so that was exciting. No, that was great. I had a Definitely, very good yeah. time playing that. Um, and that's something I will be looking uh, out for. Yeah, if people. So that was Monica's, everybody. And uh, so there's no Kickstarter just yet, but if you keep your eyes peeled for it, Lord knows we'll be shouting about it in the Shadow and Sit Down yeah. news. Uh, let's talk about a less exciting but still quite good card game. Pairs? Which Where well, we've missed the Kickstarter entirely. Uh, let's talk about Pairs. Pairs. Which Pairs. we would tweet it out Pairs. by everybody because it is spelled P E A R S. Which is, by the way, uh, slander um, and a trademark that you're not allowed to use. But mm. um, and I think we're pursuing legal action right now. Well, I'm not. I mean, he is. Well, he is. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, <laughs> he, he doesn't. He never answers his phone when I call. Does he not? No. Oh, is the, has he shut you out of? Never mind. Wait, is he still with? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, so okay. pairs is a game about making or trying not to make pairs. It was kickstarted by Cheap Ass Games. It's a pub game. You can kind of play it with a deck of cards. Yeah. You remember maybe. this, Paul? Yeah, no, I remember this because I was quite surprised by how much I liked it. Yeah, but well, sorry, uh, I'll let you... No, it's so light and so clever. It's just, a, it, they call it like the new style pub game or whatever, but it's just a deck of cards where there is a copy, one copy of a pair, like a card that says pair and it's a picture of a pair. And I'm going to get this wrong, but like there are two plums, two plum cards, and then there are three cherry cards. There are four orange cards and so on, all the way yeah. up to there being 10 onions. And 10 onions is, so it makes it the most common card in the deck. And all it is is you shuffle this deck and you all get take a card. So, like, I, maybe I draw a card it's a cherry. On my turn, we go clockwise on the table, I draw a card off the top of the deck. If it's a cherry, I've lost, and I keep one of those cherries as my negative points. The first player to hit, like, 16 negative points is the loser. And I love any game which I can teach where I can say, we're going to play this. There will be no winners, but there is a loser, <laughs> which always makes people laugh. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so on your turn, you simply have the option of either drawing a card from the deck, as, of course, it gets more and more likely you'll draw, you'll draw a pair, and if you draw, like, a second onion, that's minus 10 points, which is huge. Um, or you can pass. And if you pass, and this is where the game gets clever, yep. you still lose the round, but you only take a number of negative points equal to the lowest card you've got in front of you. So, for example, if you draw a cherry, which is number three, then you can keep that. And it's not many negative points. You'll basically be fine. Then next round, you draw an onion. That's ten. And there are a lot of onions There's in there. tons of onions. And you still got that cherry. So it's like, do you hit? And then you draw, and it's a lemon. And there are nine lemons. So now you've got probably a 50-50 chance of being out the round next time. Yeah. So it's a fun thing where also you're really invested in your opponent's turn because if they draw, it's really tense and then, oh, they got away with it. Or, ah, they've yeah. And if they pass, then you're happy because they've said you've won. And it's very easy to see what's going on because you know that there are 10 or 9 or 8 of a certain number of fruit because it says so on the card. And if they're out the deck and they're in someone's points pile, you can see them. Mm -hmm. It's a game where you just see everything that's going on and you see the risk and you see... Um, 
you know how far you your luck can be pushed or everyone's luck can be pushed yeah so simple it's like it it combines like the the, just our two favorite things in such an immediate manner and i didn't realize it when i read the rules but you've got an interest your your turn starts you have one interesting decision to make and interesting decisions are the heart of board gaming to us at least and uh, and it's just binary. You're either wrecked by the decision you've made and you go, ah, or you feel like you've dodged a bullet. And so you know what? I quite liked pairs. I was really impressed by pairs. So if you want to kickstart pairs, uh, you can't because <laughs> the kickstarter was last month. But if you see it on a shop shelf or you want to play the same game with a deck of cards, you can probably have a pretty good time. This, well, this is the other thing. Can people get pairs anywhere now? Because obviously the people who kickstarted it have well, it's, it. it's cheap-ass games, right? And they usually do print-and-play stuff? Yeah, and then they had a bunch of different decks that were coming out. So it's got to be... I think they did have a few print-and-plays so print of a okay. bunch of different designs, if I remember Okay. Correctly. Well, of course, holding the nice... The cardstock is really nice in this, and I would hate to print cards to hold that would be awful but I'm an aesthete you know I like to hold no, there's nice a certain things. practicality to, to shuffling paper cards can you imagine that <laughs> oh god don't make me talk about Hanafuda again when I mean, you put pairs on there I was pretty sure you meant pair in Paris pair in the ban- Bananagrams people so I'm prepared to not talk about that game either because <laughs> I haven't played that either pair in Paris <laughs> yeah it's actually going to come in so every once in a while we send review copies over from the US over here Yeah. so I'll have these massive stacks of games in my apartment for months and months while I procrastinate sending them yeah sometimes mike does send me nice instagrams of like i played lewis and clark today and i go oh it's like yeah you'll see that in a month (laughs) yeah uh, yeah so you're gonna get a nice canvas pair from the bananagrams oh yeah the people who make bananagrams in a velvety zipped up banana it's a zipped up pair i've seen that in my game shop is it good i didn't play it is it about does it have i was actually hoping i was gonna be here so we could play it but oh okay (laughs) yeah no um, did you guys see, by the way, that it was like the first board game Kickstarter went up? I can't remember what it was for. That used a reference pair in its picture demonstrating yes, the game. Yes, yeah, I yes, they, I did. I, 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 I don't know the name of it, but you know, obviously, like it, it's not something that. Anyway, it was just a, it was just a very interesting thing to see. Uh, speaking of interesting things to see, uh, Mike, you recently constructed a Neolithic building uh, using only an inflatable club in the game of Agtech. Utonga. Oh, 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 oh no, 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 no. And then we also learned that none of us can tell the difference between white and black. Or right and left. <laughs> even. Or or a Tunga from a <laughs> Or a Tunga from a Karunga. Ugtect is absolutely insane. Do, how would you describe Ugtect to your mother or someone at home who hasn't seen Ugtect? <sighs> it's like playing with building blocks for slower children. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, that is perfect and also you get to hit them so that's I but mean, you do actually get to hit get them which is more but yes no it's, it's like it's, it's better and worse than playing with pulling box as a kid it's interesting that Mike says that because on Mike's team was me and Brandon <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah Architect is just um, it's a very straightforward game which again just like uh, Monica's it was a great day on Tuesday because it was another game we thought oh, this will be silly but it was amazing it was good kind of good amazing might be a strong word I'll definitely do a review on this in the next couple of weeks but um, yeah all it is it's two competing teams who have to who and the architect on each team you're cavemen obviously sorry of course of course as you are Um, and the game comes with two huge inflatable clubs and the architects on each team have a a club in one hand (laughs) in their other hand they have a card showing what building they're trying to make yep and uh, so they need to gesture with a there's a cheat sheet in front of you you, you tell your team, like, uh, you, you waggle your hips, and that means white block. 
And then you yell, Karinga, which means put down. And there's like six words, but if you say them any of them twice, they reverse the meaning. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, what we found was uh, that you'd think that these words and the gestures are all you need. And there's a sort of side rule where if a builder under your command does something right, you tap them on the head twice. And if they do it wrong, you tap them, you hit them once. You, you hit them twice right. if they're wrong, you tap them once. Or vice versa, whatever, right. yeah. Also, if you get something wrong or you, you hit- want them to disregard you, you hit yourself. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because the very first time we started, the first thing Brendan did was repeatedly hit him. <laughs> he started saying something and then just started hitting himself. Uh, that's what you want from sort of a, a manager. But, yeah, you, you have a unique action for everything like place and, ro- and rotate and move left, move right. Except for center. Except for center, which Except I found center. was a big problem. Yeah, because I wanted to try and assemble a thing and then put which something. has got to be and like then, willful design. And I kept <laughs> I kept trying to say like left of this, right of this, and then and I would move it out. to the left or right, and you would hit me no matter what I did. Well, that's another thing entirely, but uh, that's just that's how we are nowadays. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, there are certain words that aren't there, and then actually, it's quite difficult to just do just do those simple commands: left, right, rotate. Uh, and everyone's looking every back and object. forth between the thing. And also just weird stuff. Like they give it would be fine if it was all pillars and columns, but there's like a triangular piece, <laughs> which is just a dickhead. Because, because it could be it could it can have a, so many orientations yes. in relation to everything else. And then the, so it's difficult for the builders, but what we found was bizarre was like so often the built the architects would yell, Architect, which means I've won and we're ready to score this building. And I think seventy five percent of the time uh, this yeah. is where the other team you and Matt yeah. we, me and Matt yeah we were very quick but 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 everything just went wrong um, there was a lot of demolishing of buildings with clubs on our part <laughs> that is also a thing that happens but yeah I, oh. oh I think the most interesting thing for me was that we had this building block of the language that we could speak to place these pieces and then we began evolving it over time so it's like alright what does center mean so you, instead of saying a word once or twice to reverse it you'd say it three times and you would center it you would do that uh, that's what we started uh, we doing we did actually yeah. yeah also it's worth noting that when mike was in charge with the plans we did best mike was best at like translating an abstract shape into a thing that we followed I yeah think. but the, the problem is i actually absolutely killed the tempo of the game though because i would sit down look at the language <laughs> i would construct the perfect phrase to ah. place that block and just break it and then you guys would place it right where it needed to be but it just it ruined the fun of the game did it i don't know if it ruined it maybe. really no i think i think you might be perceiving that maybe. for me I was, I was just hunched over the rule set looking at it, it's like okay that, that was very <laughs> as as a builder though that was very different to the experience of sitting and watching brendan just turn up and hit himself <laughs> what matt and i found was uh, just hitting constantly we actually did a, oh we, we just had, rotated yeah over so over with again. the triangle he would yell like, uh, like bazunga or whatever the fuck to uh, to rotate the piece and then I would, and after doing this for minutes on end, I would just start rotating it slowly. And when it reached the correct point, he would hit me twice. And that, like, again, it's entirely legal. It's, but it, like you say, it's about evolving a language. And I'm yeah, sure yeah. it's just important yeah. to play with, to mix up teams so that no one team can evolve a language to the point that the game is You want people easy. improvising a bit and struggling a bit. Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, or you could just memorize the language and just be precise. Brendan, I sent him. I said we're going to play this tomorrow, and Brendan, bless him, showed up having memorized. He knew everything. All the gestures. He just couldn't get us to play. He just couldn't tell us where anything needed to be. Well, uh, that's very Irish of him. Uh, but the, um, the my favorite rule in it is because you're meant to be talking instead of like the caveman, yeah, all the time. So um, when you yell "Ogdect" and uh, or you're meant to "Ogdect," then uh, the other team looks and it's like. They check the card with the reference with what you uh, built. And yeah. Uh, 
if they agree with it. And if they think it's rubbish, they'll just make the, and the manual says like derisory snorts or something. <laughs> you know what? I felt like Chewbacca playing that game because I was just growling. <laughs> making noises about how I felt I was just growling and occasionally knocking things over that's, that's kind of what Chewbacca does that doesn't sound like that. I, I would buy a game that allows me to do that I'm not saying that's a bad thing although occasionally he flies the Millennium Falcon so he's kind of what are you saying Chewbacca Paul? works at a very simple level a lot of the time and suddenly he's uber confident <laughs> and there's nothing in between uh, yeah yes, it's as if you're saying stuff in Star Wars doesn't make an awful lot of coherent sense all the time yes speaking of stuff in Star Wars not making an awful lot something well, something something something, something. Uh, let's, let's move on to the sort of spacey spacey version of today let's talk about uh, let's talk about the Star Wars RPG Rippage so what Fantasy Flight did is they released a sort of they're releasing this in betas, right? So they've got the um, the beta for these rule books. This is like a beta for our review because it's not finished. I've never seen this happen with a role. Pl- Has this happened with a role playing game before? Ah, role playing right. games have never been this desperate for money before, and this so is kind of with fifth edition with D and D how they did the open how they just did the yeah, open play yeah, test they, and that kind oh, of stuff. Of course. But I think Edge yeah. of the Empires beta predated that by, or at least it was introduced at about the same time. Really. Ah, okay. Uh, so, Mike, you're probably the most familiar with these systems. Do you want to talk roughly about what Fantasy Flight is kind of... Because the Star Wars RPG stuff they're doing right now is interesting to me because it's one of the very few big classics of glossy RPGs you can run. It actually seems to be making money for them. Well, uh, yeah. Is I mean, what I've heard. I guess the best idea is to make a cash machine, fill it, and then just begin withdrawing by creating very... Very creating a system where you have to buy the core rules nine times if you're really into it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and then source books within source books, and then decks of cards within that, and which is fine. And then oh, custom dice within that. Custom dice. But so, what would you say is the sort of the heart of what they're trying to actually do with the rules? You're, you're saying there's a beta thing that's happened first of all. Oh yeah, yeah, and then they do a beginner game, which is the just to make sure you want to get involved because the rule books cost forty pounds. They sell sort of like a micro rule book and an adventure and the dice. I've never seen anything like this happen before. Uh, yeah, well, it's a clever way to do it. And a beta makes sense for the diehard fans, and a beginner box makes sense for people who don't want to jump and off. And it's, the... it's a ladder you climb up at each stage. You, well, or you can jump straight into the core rule book, or you can buy everything. <laughs> is a thing, and then of course. Everything, everything with the beta and the beginner <laughs> box, they are multiplying several times over because they're releasing it as they're, all their Star Wars rules are coming out for. First off, Edge of Empire, which is the smugglers, bounty hunters. Now they've just started rolling out all the products for Age of Rebellion, right? Which is yeah, which is New Hope Empire era. Yeah, X Wings and okay, and then just sort of Rebel Alliance type people. And then finally, presumably they're going to do the Knights, I think. For the so they're going to oh, do Jedi Force Knights. and Destiny at Gen Con this year. So that's going to be out in beta, and that'll actually give you rules to create a Jedi and a which true is Force sensitive. But that'll also be another like a beta thing where they'll do a, an early version. And yeah, then 2014 they'll... beta. I think it's scheduled for a 2015 release. Yeah, and that's gonna. It's clever because. It, they've sort of tiered it in just such a nice way it's like everyone wants every step of the process it's smart I, I was going to ask so is I mean is there actually a certain practicality for them doing the beta as in they put it out and then players say this is a problem we had yeah so they've got the forums and everything so they're taking feedback and then they release the errata online and I actually prefer the form and the okay. I actually prefer the beta rule books because yeah. I can sit on the subway bend them over and actually like turn the page like, they're not hard back the pages over. Yeah, 
like they're a soft, magazine. They're softback, so they're and they're a little bit smaller too. So the only difference between the beta books and the uh, final one is that they've taken out some of the art and they've taken out a little bit of the flavor text. But other than that, they're basically what's going to be released. Mm, yeah, yeah, but whereas someone like me who wants the sort of like, you know, the expansion obsessive who needs all of the rules and all the flavor and all the, <laughs> you know, the hardback and all that. That's where I just want the core rule book. So it's, it's okay. And the, but the rule stuff they're doing is kind of, I think what might be the most interesting thing about it with the rules that they've chosen, which is sort of the beating heart of all this Star Wars stuff that seems to be doing so well, is that it's actually not that different to what's come before. There is no great revolutionary system, with the exception of these big special dice you get to play with, right? A big pack of multicolored dice that you make dice pools with, and so... Rather than doing, you know, the, I get plus one to this and minus one to this and minus two because he's in cover yeah. and now I roll a dice and 17 plus four. All you do is you roll a number of colored dice and literally like 12 of these that you can barely fit in the palms of your hand. And then you'll roll them and it's kind of like reading tea leaves, right? Yeah. And it has kind of an interesting way, um, interesting manner of building the dice pool because in a typical RPG, you'll have an ability and then you'll have a skill and mm-hmm. the skill will modify whatever your dice roll would be. So you'd roll... And get your ability modifier, add it to your skill modifier. So something like something like um, D and D third edition. Yeah, sure. So like if your your ability, you mean like your strength? Or yeah. Your so if your strength, charisma. constitution, charisma. So okay. it's like you have your base innate built in ability, and then you have skills that through training you've been able to acquire. Mm-hmm. You're just more proficient. Yeah. So in with Star Wars, you don't have a number that you're rolling to. You don't actually have a target number that you're trying to get to on a D20 that's modified. You'll actually build a dice pool, and it's built by taking ability dice. And the way that you get those ability dice is kind of cool because you'll have your innate abilities, and then you'll have your skills. You'll take ranks and skill, and it might you, so you could have a two rank and a skill, and a three rank in the base ability. So when you build your build your die pool, you'll take the higher of those two numbers, your innate ability and your skill, and then you'll modify it. So because you have a higher, say, intellect, when you're trying to make an astrogation check, say you have three intellect. Astrogation is like uh, being able to jump. Warp, drive, hyper, light, dilithium, crystal. That kind of thing. Okay, right. So that's something you want to do. Okay. Yes. So what you'll be able to do is you'll have your intellect and you have this foundation of your intellect and then you'll have your astrogation skill. You'll take ranks in it. So if your ability is has fewer ranks than your skill... Mm-hmm. Or vice versa, you take ability dice, which are the lower probability of success dice. Yeah, they're like the less exciting green ones. Yeah, so if you've got three intellect, you take three of those ability dice, so whichever of the two is higher, and then you take the skill. The skill will let you upgrade um, a number of ability dice into proficiency dice. Which are the huge D12 yellow things with a lightsaber on them. Yes, equal to the number of ranks you have in that skill. So if you have, again intellect of rank three and then astrogation of rank two you would take three ability dice because your intellect is higher than your astrogation and then you would upgrade two of those dice for your astrogation skill and proficiency dice which give you more opportunities for success right so just triumph success better probability pools yeah so rather than doing all the number crunching instead yeah because i played the fantasy fights warhammer fantasy roleplay which is where they sort of tested this dice thing and it's yeah you you uh, you're, it's a difficulty four check, so you're given four of these fat red difficulty dice, and then you have your skill of this and your skill of that, and then your friend's helping you, and then your other friend says, can I help as well? And the DM says, yes, okay, he helps you attack the orc. And then eventually you're rolling like 15 dice, and you lift them up in your hand, you can barely hold them, you throw them out, and then you look at them and go... And then, yeah, that's the, and then it becomes clunky again. And of course I'm trying to describe this to a friend, and I tell her, okay, so you're trying to... Br- you're a Bothan, and you're trying to break in, and you're trying to find the Death 
Star, the secret Death Star plans for the second Death Star. You know, many Bothans died to get them. And so I, <laughs> oh, I say, like, all right, this is a very difficult task. You'll take the purple difficulty dice, and they'll take your proficiency dice, and then you roll them all together, and you cancel out your successes, you cancel out your failures, and then you're left with threat, advantage, despair. It's really like whether you succeeded or failed and whether you had good or bad luck with it. You're going to push the story forward, yeah. So I think Mm. she ended up with a triumphant threatening despair it's like, <laughs> it's just trying to break in and it's like what does that mean in the context of breaking into a computer but that so it's must like, put like some some amount of like pressure pro- on processing the, pressure on the gm yeah and it's really hard because it's like uh, i guess a storm you're on the terminal you're looking at how to free your friends and then you find out where the storm tro- where the actual plans for the dust are, are just as a stormtrooper blasts the terminal in front of you sure i think it's i hope it's not quite this way but my gut instinct on reading all the rules and we'll find out if it's this way when we play it but it's like it's a okay to good rpg but really where all the hype seems to come from the fact that these dice and rolling them is so much fun like rather than the great narrative advantage because we've been poking indie rpgs and like uh, and all the fun crazy stuff that they do with narrative design and i'm not seeing any of that here i don't, i'm not sure dice can conjure it up and that, i certainly didn't see him do it in warhammer fantasy roleplay and there's mm. some kind of funny things with it too because they have obligation and then yeah, that duty. i like you I, like that i like obligation a lot so okay obligation might be more interesting than oh duty. yeah no so what are these well my, i've read edge of empire and now mike is experiencing the, the sort of rebel version which is called i forget age of rebellion age of rebellion okay. right okay so but obligation is really neat so when you make a character or a group or both in um in edge of empire because you're smugglers and thieves and you're living on the edge of society um and you wonder what's driving you to be these reckless guys and it's your obligation every character has an obligation which is so far so cookie cutter you owe a debt to someone or you um you want you hunger for revenge or you're a drug addict um any number of these things and so that's your drive but what the game does that's neat is it's a number and it's like a so you have debt and it starts off at number 20 say yeah and then at the end of an adventure where you're trying to rob a guy so you crash your starship into a a hut's house <laughs> and uh, and the hut wants you to pay damages and now you're in the hole even deeper because you borrow money from somewhere else and the gm says at the end of the session well you almost did it basically you messed that up so now your debt is 25 so it's almost like something else for players to shoot for, like in addition to a leveling system. Like I remember when we played Legend of the Five Rings, yeah. you have your skills, but you also have your honor, which is like something you have in addition to your level where you can become a better and better warrior. But slowly you might feel your honor slipping through your fingers. It's something in addition, another axis for players to advance on. And what I like is at the beginning of a session, you roll the dice, and if you roll low enough, your obligation might fire. So on a D100, like let's say you roll below 25... Now your character is being held, and he receives a really threatening email from <laughs> from someone, and it lowers your—I uh, forget—stress. It's like wound threshold. No, it might be different in this. Might yeah. Okay, so in this one, it's your because you know they have the physical and then the mental. The strain. Strain. That's it. Okay. So in Edge of Empire, your strain lowers, so it's more easy for you to essentially lose your mind and lose your lose your shit. Whereas it sounds like an age of rebellion, it's it the opposite. It makes a little less sense because you have your duty, <laughs> and your duty could be something like, "I need to recruit people to the rebellion," or you'll have some other, you'll have something like that. 
And the weird thing is when you have a duty check in Age of Rebellion, it might be something like your duty is as a starfighter. Like it could be something about your piloting and the GM might not want to stop all the action and then go have a oh, space so, battle. Yeah. So they have this really weird thing where you'll remember a past triumph and then that bolsters you and you get plus two to your wound so threshold. What, these events- <laughs> Just, they sort of turn up and they could actually interrupt the narrative yeah. instead. So what can happen okay. is your duty could be triggered. And it's like, we need to save these nerfs mm. and herd them or something like that. <laughs> Again, that sounds kind of like it puts more stress on the GM. It Again, yeah. does, yes. And even being a part of the rebellion seems to put a lot of stress on the GM because you have this story to tell, but then you're you know also fighting the Empire. Yeah, so when I played Monster Hearts, and I've been talking to more experienced Monster Hearts GMs, which is based on the sort of Apocalypse World, Dungeon World system, mm. these are all RPGs which are built in such a way that, <clears throat> theoretically, if you have a good group of players... The, the pro GM I was talking to was just saying all he ever does is ask like what do you do and sometimes he would be walking around the table yelling at his player how do you feel and the players would just craft the story themselves and that's because the rules like allow for it the rules are so straightforward and uh, and all players really do you know, your skills are all related to turning people on making them angry freezing them out which means that because these are skills you have in front of you and skills you want to level up and skills, most importantly, you only level up by using, mm. you end up flirting with other players or wanting to have sex with them because you want to hey. use your sex power. Whatever. <laughs> not not necessarily saying that Age of Empire needs sex powers, but... You have to wait for... Wait for... Age of, no, <laughs> wait, no, force and Destiny. You have to wait have. for Force and Destiny for that one. Yeah, okay. So, um, but yeah, it's like all of this stuff that theoretically makes it more interesting is really just the game, the, the book almost looking at the GM and going... Yeah, cool go for it <laughs> like you know I've got this cool dice what are you going to do with it it's like uh, I'm probably going to try and run an interesting campaign which is what I was trying to do before mm. so I mean do you think uh, people who are good at being good GMs will continue to just be good GMs I think so I mean does it feel like it doesn't maybe add much <clears throat> I'm excited that- by it it makes me want to be a good GM is the best thing I can say about it, it. pushes you it, it, you you're mm. not allowed to be lazy so if you're just breaking open a door in D&D it's like alright you break through the door but you might you might break through the door and trigger a threat you know, or you might have an advantage and you have to just come up with that on the fly and it's it pushes mm. you to do the kind of things that you wouldn't normally do it, it yeah it's a bit more sort of um flexible like i guess if you sometimes as a gm flexible I'm, or chaotic <laughs> well yeah chaotic is a good term for it which, yeah. is, which feels a bit star wars nothing will ever quite go to plan um like i remember in one fantasy role play we would use this dice pool thing and sometimes it would be like you'd roll the dice and the gm would say what do you got as you swing a sword at a walk an orc and then you look at it and go, oh, I succeeded, but I got 14 bad luck. And the GM goes, what? Uh, okay, well, you decapitate the orc, but then you can almost hear the gears turning yeah. in their head. Uh, yeah, it's a weird one. And a lot of the time, I have to admit, even though our GM was great, hi, Karen, uh, he just sometimes ignored it because the game would slow down. And you know, maybe that is that maybe the way to play though to occasionally brush that under the carpet. Well, one of the cool things is that you're not you're not just playing with the dice, but you also have uh, the destiny points. So you oh, now this I'd like. Yeah, as well. you have that push and pull where you have a destiny. Each side has either light side or dark side destiny points. The players have the light side destiny. The GM has the dark side destiny, and you can the players can spend those destiny points to upgrade their die roll. So if something is particularly nasty or they really want to make sure that they make a check or even if they 
potentially forgot to bring a piece of equipment, they could just spend a destiny point and be like, well, of course we have rebreathers. Like, okay. Yeah, it's like the way you put it was a, no one ever sees Luke with a grappling hook. And then all of a sudden he's got a grappling hook. Like, what, what he needs it. <laughs> yeah, so no, I, I, I got excited by that when I read, oh yeah, the other use of destiny points is that you can... <laughs> You can use them to change the story. And I'm like, wait, what? And the players can just go, um, the players can go, well, no, actually, this, uh, this small insignificant. No, no, that wouldn't fly, on. That wouldn't fly in Paul's campaign. It's, it's not an X-Wing. It's actually a Star Destroyer. <laughs> but then, of course, every point you spend gets flipped over. So theoretically, you could have a flip-flop thing where the players flip oh, one of these no. two. Oh, look at, I've never seen Which... Paul's face like this. This is amazing. <laughs> but it's awesome because it just it's, it's like you have... The Empire Strikes Back, and it's just the dark side using all of its points, and then Return of the Jedi and using mm. all of its light side destiny points. It's just, it, I, I like it. The planets, and then uh, somehow the furry of, guys. Like, what? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess we'll we'll play it and we'll see how we will. It, we'll see how it turns out. Uh, shall we go to questions? All right. If you want to go to questions, we go to questions. I've seen what some of them are. Uh, have you? Yeah. Oh, pretty good. Okay, hang on. Uh, <laughs> That's cl- uh, why don't you guys talk about exciting things while one I one of them just asked what I was wearing really yeah what? which I don't know how to answer because I'm not wearing anything what's your favourite name for a game Paul while I look uh, my favourite name for a game is probably anything that has quest in or dungeon so quest dungeon okay or dungeon uh, quest uh, Andrea dungeon Andrea quest slash dungeon. Sire asks best and worst trends in board gaming uh, hmm. That's really good. That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> what was I, that noise that you did? Andrea collectively made you two just produce some kind of yeah. swamp gas sound. <laughs> because I think it's the same. Best and worst, I think, are micro games. Oh. Okay. Why, yeah. why, why, is it, why is it worst? So I think it's worst because I, some of the games. Well, do you want to explain roughly what micro games are to, in case people aren't aware of this hot, new hot trend? So typically, a micro game is going to be just a game, but instead of being played with 60, 70, 80 cards or a large board, you're going to have a minimum number of pieces. You're going to have 16 cards and a few wooden bits, and you're going to have fun with that. But. I think that there are a lot of micro games that are coming out that are just a little too thin. Yeah. I think people have been uh, maybe led slightly down the wrong path because so many of the... A lot of the games we're getting from Japan now because the publishers are starting to um, import these Japanese games use so few components because of that's just a cultural part of of the board gaming in Japan. Um, But the thing is, is that... You know, board game publishers are just only bringing over the very, very, very best stuff. So the trend is still coming over here. People are still getting excited. But then I haven't been so impressed by what I see of, like, um, sort of more independent designers just saying, I'll make a game with less parts. It's like, well, that's, that's you're basically handicapping yourself almost if you go for that. Uh, did I just finish your answer for you? Was that yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's weird to be on the podcast. I'm so used to listening to you guys. Oh, so you're just zoning out. Yeah, so a lot of this is just like me forgetting to talk, just listening to you guys. Uh, oh, fantastic. Paul, do you have any best or favorite trends? <laughs> what about I, I, I don't know how to say it, but I, do, I kind of want to say overcomplication, which is almost the opposite of what Mike just said, is... Sometimes when I'm playing big, the kind of games that we call Ameritrash, which are games that are often high production values with maybe a lot of random elements in and a lot of dice rolling, um, but also maybe a lot of, you know, they're very different every time you play, which can be, you know, can be an appeal when you've got loads of different cards, loads of powers, loads of things to play with. That's great. But I don't always want to have a game that I'm playing where like combat is decided by dice, but also by cards, <laughs> and then also by another. 
I feel like sometimes it's okay to have one mechanic that does one thing in a game. Are you singling out a game in particular? Are you thinking of something... That's... No, not necessarily. <laughs> well, I'm thinking a little bit of Mice and Mystics, which we just reviewed, because I don't know. I rather like the cards were just used for inventory rather than inventory powers, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the combat in Dungeon Quest, which I've always liked, isn't amazing because you do a weird kind of a side card playing thing. Which you never used to do, I think, in the older versions in the 80s. It used to be. No, they've, they're actually rechanging it back they're, to yeah, what it was in the older yeah. I do quite like uh, what Game of Thrones does for its combat, where rather than dice, you do just have a set yeah, of cards. Yeah, diplomacy style, yeah. augmented with the cards. You, yeah. have a, you have a card ranging from one to six, and when you play your six, you're probably going to win, but then everyone else knows you've played your six. and yeah. uh, you can. It's like the memoir thing. You have to burn through your whole hand of terrible things before... Memoir does has about the right level of complexity there. It has a couple of cards that are kind of conditional play, where you can write, play an ambush card or something, but most of the time it's like, it's, here it's at the dice, they do that. Yeah, I think probably if I was what I would look for in a war game is very quick resolution of combat because when it gets slow you might lose that excitement uh, someone here asked a question um, Pandapocalypse which is a great Twitter name uh, says have you ever been involved in a collectible game or just standard schoolyard stickers and I've chosen this in my power as moderator because I want to tell a story of schoolyard stickers uh, when I was walk. do you know this one? no <laughs> when I was walking through school I remember it was like we all had collected football stickers and uh you would carry around all your spares in a big pack that were yeah. held with a rubber band. There was a tunnel that connected two parts of my school that went under the motorway. And uh, we're all walking because it's after lunch and we're walking. And then uh, this guy's <laughs> trying to take a card out of his set and it just explodes. Like 400 cards fly into the air in a tiny contained tunnel full of like 400 school children it's like the end of the crystal maze it was lord of the flies for like 400 kids immediately start screaming it was like it was like the london riots like a sort of like a sort of seer like vision of the london riots but contained all of them grabbing at the cards grabbing yeah. at him tearing grabbing him apart touching touching me touching me in places it was happy days what was his name uh, oh I don't know I don't, I don't even know if I know who it happened to it was, he was just the victim was, was there anything left afterwards no was like he, he might clean <laughs> basically yeah see the same thing happened with my overpower cards but then I just quietly picked them up <laughs> <laughs> where was this <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, so, wait, have you ever collected anything, Paul? I actually did uh, Panini stickers uh, for Thundercats when I was about six or seven. Well, that's why well, I collected football ones because I had to. You got to collect Thundercats? Thundercats, which was, uh, for anyone who doesn't know what Thundercats is, <laughs> two things. One, what's wrong with you? Second, they're all people who are clearly also cats. Uh, but like they're, they're called Lion-O and Panthro and they're humans Shira. but they have cat powers it was like an early glimpse into the furry lifestyle a friend of mine had her first uh, erotic experience thinking about She-Ra can uh, you write down the name of that person for me <laughs> now uh, no do a, do a charade uh, Mike know who you've been right. collecting <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you've been collecting Star Trek Attack Wing. Uh, oh, unfortunately. Which immediately makes me want to just sort of like put you on a support list or something because let's let, we've all just been looking at the X-Wing miniatures and they're so good. And then Star Trek Attack Wing was kid's Star Trek version, which is, I can't even think of like a kind way of saying it. It's like, yeah, it's it's not the correct choice, it's a really. beautiful, beautiful game system, but every time you look at the miniatures just the net happiness of the universe goes down <laughs> you were showing me your Borg uh, sphere and I got so sad so I was so excited because they finally came out with the Borg in the, late, in the latest wave <laughs> I, went to the, 
I went to the Complete Strategist in New York. It's this great, wonderful store. I'm just there to buy Netrunner. And then I see that, oh, God, Voyager and the Borg Sphere are out. And I'm so excited. I pick up Voyager. I've got another Borg Sphere. And then I've got my Netrunner. I'm just going out with this full arm of games. I finally get home and I look at my Borg Sphere and I realize that it's each side of the sphere is tinted a different color and it just mm. <laughs> <sighs> which is in gaming terms the apocalypse i mean not not to say that you know we are overprivileged as men however and then that is a huge concern paul was just bothered by the scale i like i i quite like star trek i'm not mad about it but i've had fun with star trek and then i'm looking at these things and <laughs> i looked at uh like the the, first, the original enterprise from the yeah. original series being small and then the the enterprise from the next generation being much bigger and that makes sense because but, those are the only two that are in scale with each other right. <laughs> and then all of, all of a sudden like a tiny ship like the defiant was bigger than most of the other ships in the collection and to some degree you get a you get an amount of abstraction in board games where like you might have large men on a board a bit but it just it feels kind and, of weird. and case, i feel yeah. silly saying this but it looks weird. Well, no, they're, co- does, they're yeah. collectible, you know? If you're collecting something, you want them to look right. So my question is, were you aware of this discrepancy in scale? And was it bothering you when Fantasy Flight announced the super large Star Wars ships that, in order to keep oh. scale, are a foot long? Yeah, so the problem is, I think I tweeted, like, my face, after looking at my Borg Sphere, like, my nose is firmly up against the window of X-Wing's storefront. Like, <laughs> oh, I want it so badly, but I just can't invest. I'm going to keep buying Attack Wing. Uh, okay. Oh my goodness! Let's see. Let's see what else we got. Uh, oh, it's Pandapocalypse. He's talking now. We've had a question from you, Pandapocalypse. Don't be greedy. Have you ever given up halfway through a game of something uh, for the first time when you realised, oh, you've got the rules wrong? I thought that question was more interesting when I was reading the first half of it because I thought giving up games and then I was going to say, yeah, we do that all the time, but getting the rules wrong? No, because the first game doesn't count. Yeah. In a way, though, yeah, the first game doesn't count, yeah. and you kind of you can reset or mess around with the first game. Uh, how can you get sorry Brian W asks how can you get someone excited about a game that is new to them with a theme that seems dull i.e. suburbia and that I'm, I'm glad he got, we got asked this because that is Shut Up and Down's job we take yes. the most boring games and go now listen these are stupid but well then Quince how do you do that uh, I can't remember I'm off the am I on the clock okay so, so usually I find what did I say in a suburbia review the thing with um, dismal themes is that a lot of the time they're funnier to me than um than boring themes like i remember you and i laughing so much when we played trains because it was so boring like i was saying no paul this is going to be really good and you thought it was going to be so bad the first card that i picked up and looked at just said normal train (laughs) and then it's a picture of a steely train train. yeah and then they announced i just thought what (laughs) you made this why how is this and then they announced the expansion with a picture of men looking bored for the new delayed card but no suburbia i feel like because it is so such a it's the uncanny valley thing suburbia is such an, a model of real life that when you look at it and things are going a bit weird like if you have my favorite example a school between like a casino and a canyon yeah like just pincered there and then like you finally go oh, i'm gonna build oh this town a casino oh where should it go oh next to the school is fine oh slaughterhouse yeah slaughterhouse casino canyon military base all of this stuff it just starts telling stories to me so like um, so the way I guess I would pitch Suburbia to a difficult friend is just to say, like, here's a game where you're going to 
be the most amoral, insane. Because there's even those victory point cards where it's like, this game you're playing a mayor who loves aeroplanes. Oh, yeah. And you're well, going to have bonus points. Can, uh, I guess you could, the pitch is not so much a theme. It's like, you get to do this. It's not just you are, the game is about this. It's you get to do this. Uh, yes. Alec, Alec <laughs> Nelson asks, what is the most immensely satisfying game you've ever played? Brackets. Upon completion, you have a huge sense of accomplishment. Close Ooh. brackets. Ooh. That's a good one. For, for me, it might be ghost stories. Uh, <laughs> defeat. I'm not, Approving I, grunt. Yeah, the first time I beat... Because ghost stories has that great end game where Wu Feng shows up. And you all of, all of ghost stories is, is surviving until Wu Feng shows up. And then you draw the last card and you go... <gasps> Yeah. He's, he's here and then you and then if you can actually run up and punch him in the mouth which is so hard and also Ghost Stories has that great mechanic where in the it comes with 10 copies of the final boss 10 copies of this ghost that's come back to kill you and they're all so different like mm. and if you if you do the correct thing and don't look at them you might play a game of Ghost Stories where you're working hard working hard working hard and finally you draw Wu Feng at the end and it's like and he's like in his time incarnation and all the ghosts get like, you know, sort of they, time sort of shifts forward and backward and suddenly the board's different and you go, what? <laughs> like, because you just, just suddenly there's no way to win. And if you go on to win despite Wu Feng showing up and being really weird, mm. which he always is, that's beautiful. You want to high five your friends, you want to make out with them and push them on the table. It's like the end, the scene from Star Wars where they blow up the Death Star and they're all cheering. Wait, what with Ewoks? Yes. Put, yeah, that. Making that out, but they're in, not making out with Ewoks. Mike, when have you been satisfied in your life or playing a game? It's Nourishma Hex. Always. Yeah. Like, it's that push and pull where you can be just getting dominated in the early game, but then you can pull, just you'll pull out a win at the last second. Just over and over again. I've played it at least 500 times and <laughs> always just so satisfying. Me, what satisfied me? I don't know if this is a definitive answer. Uh, there was something about... I still get it, I think, now with Galaxy Trucker, but the first times we played Galaxy Trucker and so many things went wrong, and you get to the end of the game... And, and you've it, made $11. Yeah, or you, you've made more money than you think. Yeah. you've just... You, you get even to the end of a mission uh, and things, you know, a round of the game and it works out better than you think. And if you do that two out of three rounds, that's good. If you, you do it just on your final round, that's good. Or if you total up your money and you go, I've, I've got 15 credits or I've got 20 or, t- or sometimes maybe quite a lot, like 40 or 50. It always, it's because you built that ship yourself and you had your personal journey and the things that fell where all where stuff is always going to go so wrong, so comedically wrong. And then the things that remain, or the things that held you together, no matter sort of how big or small those are, you you keep those, and you feel kind of like you earn them, even though random stuff happened to you. I don't know. I, I get that feeling from it. I was just thinking that when we were answering the question when you were talking, I was just thinking of different things where I've totted up at the end. Takedo does it to a little degree. Takedo's not massively competitive, but completing a tableau. And t- Takeda is quite satisfying. Yeah. So you, you like games with sort of journeys where at the end of the journey you look back and you see where, how far you've come and how many bits of your spaceship. And at either end of that spectrum is Takeda's Galaxy <laughs> Tracker where one of them you have had a terrible time and one of them you've had a great time. Satisfying. Well, both of which, but you've had a time, a, had a, a time. self-contained time, which sounds if satisfying. there was a good Doctor Who board game about time, that would hit me in the satisfaction gland. We've had a self-contained time this time, haven't we? Um, uh... 
<laughs> thank you all. Thank you all so much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast because we're all tired because we've been playing games all day and we're going to say goodbye to you now. But oh, we haven't. We've been working. Don't tell them that. Paul makes a stand. So if you do like the podcast, please just give it a quick rate on iTunes if you haven't already because it's a five star review. Even if you don't use iTunes, is really really good and just whips us up the chart. But other than that. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, thanks. thanks, thanks so much for coming, Mike. Thank you for having me. All the way just for this podcast. Uh, we we can't announce our plans for the year, but we're going to see you at conventions later, and we'll do another one of these, won't we? Oh God, yeah. This will be my thirteenth Gen Con. Oh, we can't. Twelfth or thirteenth Gen Con. We should we should sneak this in as an annou- as a little announcement because we haven't announced we're going yet. But that's we haven't. A, that's a quiet. Sh- we're going to Gen. Oh my god, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.